right, so um, you probably already know this if you've been tracking with this series from the beginning, uh, but in the story that Luke has been telling up to this point, it's really been something of a back and forth between Jesus and John, right? As Luke begins with a couple of birth announcements, the promise of two sons, followed by the story of two pregnancies, two births, two songs of praise, so that it should come as, as no surprise to any of us, really, that this morning would bring us face-to-face with the all-grown-up Jesus, having spent last week with the all-grown-up John out in the wilderness. After all, John is the forerunner, right, given the unique privilege and redemptive history of heralding the coming of the Messiah. Going back to, to last week, that imagery that we saw In last week's passage, in the ancient world, it was customary for people to construct smooth, level entry roads into their city in preparation for the visitation of a king or a queen so that the king or queen might receive a proper welcome in the fullness of of his or her splendor and and majesty so that the king or or queen would then send a, a messenger ahead of the caravan to announce his or her arrival to that city so that the inhabitants of the city might be prepared to receive him or, or her. Well, the real, reality of what Luke's been saying for weeks now is that in God's great story of redemption, John is that messenger sent to call Israel to repentance in preparation to meet her God and the coming of his kingdom, setting the stage for the, the kingdom ethic that Jesus has come to inaugurate, the king having come to rescue a people for himself who will live under his rule, under his reign. In this morning's passage, Finally, uh, in adult form, we come face-to-face with one greater than the king's messenger. In this morning's passage, we come face-to-face with the king himself, Jesus. Verse 21, Luke says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is the first appearance of Jesus as a grown-up in Luke's gospel account, and it's the moment of his baptism, which at first glance might seem a little strange, that Jesus would receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, going back to last week's language. Jesus had no sin of which to repent. The Bible's clear on that, so this is not some outward symbol of an inward change. Rather, this is three incredibly wondrous things happening all at once. Number one, this is Jesus publicly identifying with you and me, with the ones he came to save as an act of solidarity with us, being, as as Isaiah says in uh, chapter 53, verse 12 of his writing, numbered with the transgressors, though he was without transgression. Secondly, This is Jesus acting in obedience. This is part of his building of his perfect resume on the way to the cross that he would gift us by faith in fulfilling all of the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf. We see that in Matthew's gospel account where we're told that John the Baptist would have prevented Jesus from being baptized at all, except that Jesus declared it to be a fulfilling of all righteousness. And lastly, and perhaps this is, the, the most, I don't know, eloquent imagery that you see threaded throughout the Bible from start to finish, that this is Jesus receiving a proper anointing and coronation as God's promised priest king. All right, we've talked about this, this theme that does run its course throughout the scriptures from start to finish and everything in between as a church in a few different sermon series of the past. 
Going back to the story of creation, not only was Adam placed in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, as Genesis 2.15 says, to guard the garden sanctuary, the garden temple of God as the first priest in human history. Not only is that true, but God also commanded our first parents to exercise dominion over all of creation, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule over creation for the glory of the greater king. In other words, God created human beings to function as priest kings for his glory, for the the good and joy of his creation, his created order. The trouble is that God's first priest failed to guard that garden sanctuary of Eden, allowing evil to lurk in the form of a serpent. And God's first king and queen failed to exercise dominion rightly as they rebelled against the greater king in choosing a life of judicial autonomy and self-determination. It's the story of the fall in Genesis 3. From there, if you read the Old Testament, we see those themes of priesthood and kingship in full force as we follow the story of God's people. Those are two offices. If you, if you read the Old Testament, you'll notice that, that they remain distinct throughout Israel's history so that if you were a Davidic king, you were not also a Levitical priest. And if you were a Levitical priest, you were not also a Davidic king. You couldn't be both. in in the economy of Israel. However, the prophecies of the Old Testament, a few in particular, speak of one to come who would bring the two together, the two offices of priest and king colliding in a single person. I'll give you one example of that. Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and two. Isaiah says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse was David's father. So he's talking about a Davidic king to come. And then you get the priestly language of the anointing here in the next verse. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This passage is fulfilled in this morning's very passage. Luke chapter three. A priest requires a proper anointing like the priests of the Old Testament and a king requires a proper coronation like the kings of the Old Testament. Jesus' baptism is that anointing and coronation of heaven's priest king. Isaiah's sevenfold description, symbolic of the fullness of the spirit descending upon Jesus. The father's declaration, you are my beloved son with you, I'm well pleased. That declaration even itself hearkening back to a couple of Old Testament passages that speak of both the divine sonship and the the suffering servanthood of the Messiah. The eternal divine beloved son of God on whom the perfect approval of the father and the anointing power of the spirit rest. This is an amazing moment. And Luke declares to us that his name is, is Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, pray for me, I'm about to try to work my way through this, who was about 30 years of age, being the son as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Haley, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Enah, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semaain, the son of Josek, the son of Eadah, the son of Yohanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, 
the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kassim, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph. We're halfway there, church. The son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malaya, the son of Mena, the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse. There's Isaiah 11 language there. The son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. You see the promises of God there. The son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarug, the son of Reu, the son of Paleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shalah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enoch, uh, Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Here's the first thing to say about all of that. Like, man, why read through all of those names? Because all of that, which we just read through together, it's divine revelation just as much as any other part of scripture. Every single word of it. Having just shown us something of the, the deity of Christ in the Father's declaration of his sonship, Luke now brings us face to face with the humanity of Christ by way of a family tree. Not only a declaration, going back to a couple weeks ago, that Jesus is able to atone for the sins of humans whose nature he shares, but also a declaration that this is a true story rooted in human history, as we've talked about before in this series, with real names and real places. So that the genealogy, it's not the boring part of the story, to be glanced over and move past quickly to get to the good stuff. Rather, it declares to us that, that this story actually happened and is still happening, that it is the, the truest of fairy tales, making it different from all other fairy tales. It's a story dripping with God's mercy and grace in rescuing people from sin and death throughout the ages. You may recall from a couple of Christmases ago, if you were with our church then, we worked through Jesus's family tree as Matthew tells it. And we talked about this then, that a genealogy in Jesus's day, it was something like a resume now a way of letting people know something of, of who you are. Whereas we tend to list our degrees, our experience, our accomplishments, the Jews in Jesus's day tended to list their family lineage, their, their pedigree. A priest, for example, had to produce an unbroken record of his lineage going all the way back to Aaron. It probably comes as no surprise then when you think about it that way, to know that people would then do the same thing that people are oftentimes inclined to do, tempted to do today, which is namely to leave out the bad parts. So that people in Jesus's day, uh, day would remove from the record those who would otherwise bring disdain upon them, purging all the crazy uncles, you might say, in order to garner more approval, more respect, which is not at all what Luke does here. He may not include some of the scandalous names that Matthew includes in his record of Jesus's lineage, names like Judah and Tamar, Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute of Jericho, 
In fact, most of the names that Luke includes are, are pretty obscure. In other words, nearly half of them appear nowhere in the Old Testament. You won't find them anywhere else in the Bible. However, Luke does something that Matthew doesn't as he traces Jesus's family tree all the way back to Adam, the first priest king through whom sin and death spread to all men, including, to name a few in the list here in Luke chapter three, Terah, the idolater, Jacob, the cheater and thief, David, the murderer and adulterer, to name a few. It's that classic Romans 5 language that we just can't get away from. Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. That it, it's not sufficient to Luke that we trace Jesus's genealogy back to Abraham as Matthew does in his gospel account, and rightly so, as Matthew has different reasons for recording things the way he does in writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. In writing to a predominantly Gentile audience, Luke's aim is to take us back to the very beginning, past the promises of Abraham and his offspring to the failure of the first priest king, the first son of God who sent humanity into a tailspin and the implications of the gospel for all of that humanity, you and I included. As sin came into the world through Adam, death came into the world through sin. And sin and death spread, Paul says, so that none of us is exempt from the family tree to use that imagery of sinful humanity, the sons of Adam, the daughters of Eve that we are. Philip Ryken in his commentary on this morning's passage says, this is what it means to be a human being and we need to face it. We are born, we live, we sin, and because we sin, we die. That's the bad news. It's the devastating news actually with which this morning's passage brings us face to face. In Adam, we stand condemned under the weight of sin's curse, the loss of paradise, the loss of, of Eden, and most importantly, the loss of intimacy with the living God. None of us able to reverse that curse, that spell, as evident in, in the many names listed in this morning's passage, all of whom failed to measure up to the, the righteous expectations of heaven's holy king, as have we all adding our names to the family tree of a sinful humanity that continues to grow with each passing generation, which all the more reveals the contrasting glory of gra and grace of God in the good news of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. One of the greatest quotes maybe we'll see in the entirety of this walk through the book of Luke, Riken goes on to say in his commentary, but we do not have to die without hope because Jesus is in the genealogy. Hey, you may not be able to pronounce half the names in that list. I'm sure I botched several of them, but one that we can be sure that we will get right is the name of Jesus. We sing it every Sunday when we come into spaces like these. We pray in the name of Jesus when we approach his throne of grace. We, we bow to him as the risen and exalted king. It's Jesus, it's his name. Praise God that he's in the genealogy the promised offspring of Eve, having come to crush the serpent Satan's head and reverse the spell, reverse the curse, making a way for sinners to be restored to the paradise of God and ultimately to a right relationship with the God of paradise. He's the second Adam who would do what the first Adam and all of us have failed to do. As Paul goes on to say, 
And I believe we read these verses just this past Sunday. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. That, that there is no denying that one sinner can destroy a whole lot of good, much less a family tree full of them. But the beauty of the gospel is that the one righteous one, Jesus Christ, overcame our sin as our perfect priest king who lived the sinless life that we could never live, that he might die in our place as a spotless sin-bearing substitute. That's where this story's going. Most of you know it, this great story of redemption that Luke is out to tell And we get to celebrate it this morning with a hearty praise be to God that Jesus is in the genealogy. That we might no longer stand condemned in Adam, but rather justified in Christ by grace through faith. Going back to Zechariah's song of praise in chapter one, Jesus is the great horn of salvation, mighty to save the most desperate of sinners, the most vile and wicked in the family tree. He's the sunrise from on high, the dawning of God's grace shining into our darkness. And here's what that means. Coming back to the language and imagery of Jesus's baptism, I'll give you two glorious, wondrous gospel truths this morning. Number one, it means that the perfect love and favor of the Father rests on we who are united to Christ by faith, that we too are his beloved children with whom he is well-pleased not because we've merited the Father's love and favor, but because Jesus has for us. And my guess is that many of us in this room are going to need to be reminded of that before the sun goes down. Perhaps tomorrow, Wednesday, Saturday afternoon. We're gonna need to remind each other of that truth, to send a text message to to someone in the church and say, you're a son, you're a daughter. Not of Eve, not of Adam, but of, but of the living God in Christ. The Father's love and favor is over you, washing over you. Well, let me take it a step further. I've shared this a couple of times over the years. I'll share it again. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love He will exult over you with loud singing. What is that passage saying? It's saying that God doesn't just rescue us from sin and death, he rejoices over us. He not only loves you, he delights in you. He sings over you. Like the the father in the parable of the prodigal son, he puts a ring on your finger, kills the fattened calf, and throws a party to end all parties. I mean, we're talking about a God going back to that creation story to the very beginning whose spoken word is so powerful that he said, let there be light. And light's response was, okay, what am I gonna do? Buck against that voice? To which I would say, if that's what happens when God speaks, imagine what happens, the power when he sings. And Zephaniah 3.17 says he sings over you and over me. That's a wonder of all wonders. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, 
in commentary on that Zephaniah 3 passage. Here by the pen of inspiration, the God of love is pictured as married to his church and so rejoicing in her that he rejoices over her with singing. If God sings over us, shall we not sing to the glory and praise of his grace? What could possibly warm our hearts in such a way that our lives might actually be transformed into a warm outpouring of delight in God? The answer is very simple. It's knowing that, to again use that Sally Lloyd-Jones language, that we have the fathers never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, love, favor, and approval, which is ours in Jesus Christ that he speaks words of delight over us, just like Jesus at his baptism. That's one gospel truth. The other one, and I'll be a little briefer on this. Because like Christ, we have the Father's favor and love and approval because we've been made sons and daughters, we, like Christ too, have the anointing power of the Holy Spirit who descends upon those who are united to Christ by faith, cleansing us from sin and empowering, just like Jesus for his ministry that we're going to see in the remainder of Luke's gospel, empowering us for our ministry, the ministry to which he's called us in the here and now, having uh, determined the, the allotted place of our dwelling, our time, our moment in human history, that we might live as the priest kings that we were intended to be now by God's sustaining grace and indwelling power. My goodness, Like, if we walk out of this place and we simply preach those two gospel truths to ourselves throughout this week, how might this week be different? If we preach that to each other as the church, I'm a beloved son of God in Christ. You're a beloved son or daughter of God in Christ. I'm indwelt by the third person of the Godhead I have all the power I need to glorify God and to advance his kingdom and church, and so do you. So yes, I encourage us in these moments to come to to sing to this God through our collective song. We are a family, let's bring a family song to him. And two, yes, I encourage us to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you're a Christian, that meal is certainly for you. We We take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. If you miss those cups on your way in, they're on the back table. You could partake of of that sacrament at any point over these last two songs when you're ready to do so. Remembering that the broken body and shed blood of Jesus is the only hope that we have of being grafted into this family and and dwelt by the spirit of God. Yes, I invite us to celebrate that. But in addition And more than that, as we leave this place, and I'll bring this back around in the benediction, I pray that we would speak those truths over ourselves and each other because they're powerful. If we sat with them just long enough, they would make our heads spin.